Blog Talk Radio. Well, here we go again. Parenting your challenging child is back on the air. After a summer hiatus, it is great to be back with my co-host, Susie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And you? I am well. Are you ready to do this again? I am. We have more questions piled up than we are going to be able to get through in the next two or three months, but that's what we're here for. So we're going to do our best. Uh, I hope everybody had a great summer, including you, Susie. Did you have a good summer? Yes, I did. Thanks. And of course, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say it's great to begin another year of helping parents help their children who have challenges. Um, Always excited about that topic. Um, And, uh, well, most people are already in the throes of the school year having begun. For many parents, that's a relief. For others, that just brings up a whole bunch of additional concerns that aren't present during the summer. For some parents, absence does make the heart grow fonder of their behaviorally challenging child. So we've got a lot to cover today. Um, And let's start shall we, with some of the emails that have accumulated. Um, And uh, here we go. Are you ready? I am, but let's just first give the call-in number again. I Um, think that that is a great idea. It's uh, 347-994-2981. So if you have a question or comment, that's the number to call. And your question and our answers will help not only you, but the many, many people who listen to this program, either live or in the listening library on the Lives in the Balance website or on iTunes, to the tune of hundreds of thousands of listens over the years. So that's pretty cool. What else were you going to say, Susie? Oh, and just um, after you dial the call-in number, to please press 1 so they get in line to speak with you if you they're going live. Them. Okay. Good. Um, and I promise not to say anything about the outcome <laughs> of the football game yesterday between the New England Patriots, uh, and I'm somewhat of a fan, and the Buffalo Bills and I understand that uh, your family um, has, you know, been rooting for the Bills for a very long time. And so I just think that the better side of sportsmanship is to not even bring it up. Don't you agree? Well, I'll just say that I think the Buffalo Bills have some lagging skills and unsolved problems. Well, they have passion, and that is a wonderful thing. Um and we can just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And a new head coach who's a very passionate guy. And yes. um, that's all good. Right. 
Now on to business. Uh, the subject of this email is daughter with shield around her. Uh, I have a smart, caring, empathetic, and funny daughter who is 16 years old. If I look back, I could probably change many things about how I parented her. I did a lot of lessening with an O and lessening with an E, as you sometimes talk about in your lectures when she came and talked with me about things going on in her life. She has practically shut down talking to me and sometimes talks to her dad. I did the ALSIP, the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems, and mainly find her lacking in the following skills. One, uh, anxious, nervous, worried, fearful. Two, sad, fatigued, tired. Three, concrete, black and white thinker, inflexible, inaccurate interpretations, and cognitive distortions, mostly victim mentality. She is generally anxious and worried about school, friends, future, questions, purpose of life. I know she has difficulties socially, but doesn't seem to lack basic social skills, empathy, etc. She has sometimes complained for almost being ignored by her friends and feeling transparent. She doesn't talk much, and I know she always has the shield around her, and so she doesn't warm up to others. How can I help her? Well, let me take a stab at that one first, but Susie, uh, only because I, uh, well, have some experience with daughters who are 16 years old, mine is now 17, but who are not always enthusiastic about talking, and Susie, uh, I think that that's part of your um, past as well, yes? Yes. Yes, it is, but go ahead. Yeah, well, so the, you know, what I'm reading about here is some lagging skills. Um I I fear that we may be focusing on an old uh rendition of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and you want to make sure you're using the new ones because the lagging skills are much more specific. But the thing to be especially specific about since our motto is it all begins with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems is the unsolved problems. And I'm seeing some hints about unsolved problems in there. But what you're going to be talking with your daughter about, or at least trying to, is the unsolved problems, not the lagging skills. So what I'm always saying is great precision on lagging skills is actually not so crucial. Great precision on the wording of the unsolved problems is crucial because when we don't get the wording of the unsolved problem right, we often make it more difficult for kids to talk uh, about those problems. And so the wording of the unsolved problem, I find, is actually crucial. Also, the timing. Uh, When we document all of the unsolved problems that could be getting in the way, and when we um, prioritize them so we know which ones we want to talk about and which ones we don't, what we have is, um, number one, we have our priorities, so we're not trying to talk with her about everything. But number two, we've set the stage for the talking to be proactive, and that knocks out another major conversation stopper and that is trying to talk with kids in the heat of the moment. Now, I'm not sure how much of those things is going on in this case with this 16-year-old. 
sounds like she is sort of naturally not especially enthusiastic about talking. But if our unsolved problems are not worded well and according to the guidelines, and if we aren't doing this proactively, then we are making it that much more difficult for her to talk. And I've seen many non-talkers, kids who I was told weren't going to talk, start talking just by making sure that the unsolved problem was worded well and that the unsolved problem was being discussed proactively. So just in case this mom hasn't found it yet, on the Lives in the Balance website, there is a walking tour for parents. It is in the Parents and Families section. And that section is divided into three parts. Part number one, uh, change your lenses. Part number two, identify lagging skills and unsolved problems. And part number three, start solving problems. All those parts are going to be really helpful if, mom, you haven't found them already. But in that second section, identify lagging skills and unsolved problems, you're going to find a 45-minute audio program to help you fill out the ALSIP and write in unsolved problems according to some guidelines that you will also find on the uh, ALSIP guide, which is also on the Lives in the Balance website. It's both in the paperwork section, but also in the walking tour. Because our motto, it all starts with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, is really, really true. Beyond that, um, if you still have a kid who's not talking, you're focused on unsolved problems and they are worded well, according to the guidelines, and you're doing it proactively, then you may need somebody to break the ice a little, and that could be a mental health professional who is familiar with this model. And you'll find them listed on the CPS Connection website. That's cpsconnection.com. And that's all I have to say about that one. But, Susie, I bet you have more to say. Well, I think it helps in trying this new approach, uh, collaborative and proactive solutions, that you're explaining to her daughter that you're doing something with her, not to her, and recognize that it takes a while for kids to participate in the process. Um, they're skeptical at first, and rightly so, if they've mostly been dealing with uh, parents imposing their will on them. Um, to explain that she's that the daughter's not in trouble, that she's not mad at her, but she's trying to understand and um, that it's a family problem. My, uh, you mentioned daughters, but also my son was uh, not communicative um, in the beginning, and I just learned to... Um, not only make an appointment with him, which helped tremendously to talk about this, but to also uh, slide slide it into conversations when I could to try to get creative with ways to meet your daughter at her level. Um, for a long time, and I think I've said this before, the only thing I could talk to my son about were 
rims, car rims. That was that was it. And um, slowly, by having those car rim conversations, we we started talking, and he realized that we were partners, and I was trying to repair the relationship. And lastly, um, I got the sense that uh, maybe she was feeling a bit bit guilty about what she hadn't done, so try not to beat herself up for, you know, what she didn't do in raising her daughter. I'm sure she did the best she could. I'm sure you're right. Um, I remember a mom we had called either last year or the year before, who had just found the Lives in the Balance website and just come across all the materials that helped her understand her daughter better and go about parenting differently. And she was crying when she called into the program and um, feeling very guilty about um, how things had been going between her and her daughter. And, um, you know, I think what we said to her at the time was, you didn't know what you didn't know. Now that you know what you didn't know, you're all set to try to do things differently. And I always love that bumper sticker, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. Uh, That goes for adults, too. And the interesting thing is, I find that kids... Even kids who've had it's not completely clear that this mom has been doing you know perpetual plan A with her daughter, but mm-hmm. um, that's what most people do. So um, even kids who've had perpetual plan A um, start doing plan B with them. And very frequently, they respond very quickly. Um, they've been wanting to be heard. Now you're listening. They've been wanting their concerns to be addressed. Now they are. You've been wanting your concerns to be addressed. Now they are. And in ways that are a lot more reliable than plan A. Um, Kids do respond to plan B, even if they have been on the receiving end of massive doses of plan A. In fact, they've often been chomping at the bit to be heard and to have their concerns addressed. Susie, anything else on that one before we turn our attention to another? Um, I just wanted to mention, along with the um, assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, that it's also important to fill out the problem-solving plan so that you're, um, it's right there in black and white um, that you're prioritizing your two or three unsolved problems and you're setting benchmarks to try to get these problems solved. Excellent. Let's turn our attention to this one. Um, my son, this one seems to be coming from overseas, I think Great Britain. My son is 15 years old and has had problems at school academically, not behaviorally, issues keeping, not making friends and bad behavior at home that is very hard on his twin sister and younger brother. He is permanently angry and has symptoms of depression and anxiety. In the past, he has missed many days of school, and on one occasion, he dropped it for a couple of months, and it was very hard to get him to go back. 
I am fearing and he is threatening, he will do that again, temporarily or for good at any time. When we moved from Spain to Great Britain four years ago, he had a lovely academic tutor to support him after school, who happened to be a psychologist as well and handled my son really well. My son says he would not mind school if it weren't for the homework. However, he keeps saying he does not want any tutors to help him with homework, even if he admits he liked the tutor very much. He says he does not care about school and that he is going to be a homeless person or commit suicide before age 18. My question is, what can be done when one acknowledges a problem but the kid refuses help? If the tutor could come and sit for a little while with my son on a regular basis, he could get rid of a lot of stress and anxiety and, over time, learn to face homework on his own. His life would improve so much, in my view. I add now some information in case it may help get a better understanding of my son's background in anger, but I write it at the end so that the presentation is not too long. Well, I'm going to write it anyways because I think it's relevant. My son has a twin sister who is an A student, and a younger brother who is also doing well in school. Both his siblings had serious physical health issues when they were younger, and this probably conditioned the family dynamics and our relationship with our son, who was the healthy child. My son is a very angry teenager who even refuses to see or talk to his father at all. We have been separated for a year. The father is a believer in Plan A, although I think I'm converting him with your videos. My son says his problem is not school, but the fact that we have ruined his life already for good. He says he likes living with me and his siblings, but the truth is that he behaves very badly with the three of us, hardly goes out with any friend, and does not want to cooperate or be nice to anyone at home. He just wants to be left alone with his phone, the computer, and eating and messing up the kitchen constantly. I am very happy I found this website in the videos. I am reading Lost at School at the moment. Thank you so much for your help. Well, that's a complex one. But Susie, do you want to take a stab at that one first, or do you want me to? Um, I can take a stab at it. I'm very concerned about the statement that um, her son said uh, regarding being a homeless person or committing suicide by age 18, I think that that is probably something that needs to be looked at and checked out by a professional. Um, I think that um, it's important to, he said that his life is ruined but um, we need to explore that further with him and find out what he means. We're trying to understand this child and um, our young man, and um, that communication is very vague. Um, also, the um, the uh, mental illness pathologizes kids that it's not just the kid who's the problem um, that uh, the child has problems in living and it's the 
role of the adult to help them solve what's interfering with him living. Um, I also think that it's important to check in with the other siblings to see how they're doing. Um, I know firsthand to have a challenging child and uh, that their effect on the siblings as well as the family dynamics. Um, That's probably where I wanted to start. That's um, quite a bit. Mm. And I agree with you. If he is um, saying anything about suicide and that's something to get checked out. But I guess my take on this is, you know, we on this program, we can't determine on the basis of an email whether a child is clinically depressed. But her son certainly sounds like a very unhappy camper. And it sounds like he is unhappy um, about a whole bunch of things. Um, the family, he feels like the parents have ruined his life already. School, which he sounds like he's not able at this point to put much energy into. Um, so it might be that um, a mental health professional could be of some help here to get all of that sorted out and help mom decide on her priorities and where to start. Uh, the part that I'm paying particular attention to um, that you haven't already covered is that mom has a solution in mind, and that is that um, because he liked this tutor very much and because the tutor is still available, the tutor should be helping her son. And as mom is saying, um, that would get rid of a lot of stress and anxiety. He would learn to face homework on his own. It would improve his life. It w- his life would improve very much. And then the key words, in my view. But it sounds very much like um, that's not her son's view. And so that solution may actually not work because there's a decent chance, especially since her son is rejecting it, that there are concerns that he has that would not be addressed by that solution. And that may explain why he's not willing to go along with that solution. We're hearing a lot about what the boy is saying and about what he's doing, his behavior. But there's a tremendous need to get a better handle on what his concerns are. Now, it's not that he's not talking, because there's many things in this email about things he is saying. So somehow he is talking. And, you know, I hate, don't want to sound like a broken record, but it sure would be good to have a sense of, here I go again, his lagging skills and unsolved problems, so that we're talking with him about specific unsolved problems and not a solution, which is to have the tutor work with him again. Often, and this is sort of a good theme for everybody, when we start talking with kids about solutions, rather than about the very specific unsolved problems those solutions are intended to address, kids reject the solution and the conversation is over. Well, we don't want to start with solutions. 
we want to start with unsolved problems, and we want to do it proactively. And if we need someone to help us do that, we may need an objective third party in the form of a mental health clinician. Um, but I don't think we want to start, I know we don't want to start the conversation with a solution. And I'm not even sure that we want to start the conversation with school as the highest priority unsolved problem, given some of the other things we are hearing about her son. And I love that you brought up the siblings. Yes, it does sound like there is an interesting family dynamic here that would need to be addressed, something that's been very longstanding and that the son may also have some concerns about. So the hard part for mom is there's a, there's quite a few big unsolved problems, but they're not going to be solvable all at once, so we're going to have to prioritize. Um, not knowing the situation better, I don't know if I'm going to be any help with the prioritizing, but family, um, school, sound like the realms and general level of unhappiness would probably be my top three. Um, but we'd have to start talking with him about one of them. Um, and I think that the ALSIP will help us make a comprehensive list of all the things we could be talking with him about and then make some decisions about where we want to start. And once again, I can't emphasize this enough, if that doesn't go very far, finding a clinician who might be able to help on that score might be very valuable as well. And I think those are all my thoughts on that. It certainly sounds like an extremely difficult situation. And, Mom, you are welcome to send additional emails and call into the program anytime you wish um, if you'd like to continue the discussion. Now, speaking of phone calls, we do have a caller from Great. area code 403. And I'm just noticing that we have another caller as well, so let me get to our caller from area code 403, and then we'll do the other one. Area code 403, you're on the air. What's on your mind today? Hi, thank you so much for accepting my call. Our um, pleasure. We have um, known about your program for a long time, and before you even had the, the web page, and I want to thank you for that, because that's really added a lot to the book for us. And we've been using it with our daughter. She's nine years old and has a laundry list of diagnosis in the autism spectrum realm. And then we've been very successful at using that with her. And um, one of the things that we've found, though, is that a lot of her lagging skills, we need outside help for to build up the social skills and, and the executive functioning type skills that she needs. But the problem that we've ran into is most of these things rely on some type of, you know, punitive system that's like, you know, reward-based and consequence-based. And that really doesn't work for our daughter and never has. She's never understood how, you know, her actions or her behaviors have an effect on others. And so I'm trying to find out how do you actually go back and, um, like, I know how we do the collaborative problem solving and, and adjust things that we can work together to solve our problems, but how do we actually build those skills that are missing? 
Well, uh, a great question, and one that um, is asked frequently, so I'm glad you're asking it. Um, There are some skills that one could teach directly and explicitly, and those are some basic social skills and some language processing and communication skills. Those are the two realms in which I find that people have the greatest success in teaching skills explicitly and directly. I think that a lot of people put a lot of time and energy into teaching executive skills directly. I'm a little less convinced on that score unless the executive skills that they are trying to teach directly and explicitly are related to social skills. But... um, Most of the lagging skills are going to be taught indirectly just by doing Plan B. Because Plan B, especially when it's done proactively, gives kids, and by the way, their parents and other caregivers, lots of practice at a lot of the skills that they may be lacking, but those skills are being taught through problem-solving, not explicitly and directly. Um, What the research is starting to tell us, in other words, is that when you do proactive plan B with a kid, you are simultaneously but indirectly teaching them a lot of the skills that they're lacking. Now, I'm seeing that you are in Alberta. Is that true? true. Lives in the Balance, you may know about this already, but Lives in the Balance is sponsoring. (laughs) Good. That's outstanding. Because one of the speakers is Michelle Garcia Winner. And of all the people in this world who are extraordinary at teaching social and communication skills directly and explicitly, she's the one. So you definitely want to go to her talk. And you also want to find out from her, and I believe that there are people in your area, you want to find out if there are people she has trained who are doing her wonderful work near you. Because Michelle... We're actually very lucky because our daughter's um, speech therapist uses her program, and we've gotten quite far with her. The problem that we seem to have run into with the people that work with our daughter is, first of all, they don't like that we use your method (laughs) for dealing with her, but I find it to be much more productive than um, ending up in physical confrontation with her, especially when she has the ability to work through some of these problems and and work on solving her problems. Um, But we're finding it really hard to find people who don't believe in, I don't want to say ABA, but but that type of method of, um, you know, kind of cause and effect. And and I think a lot of people think, you know, kids with diagnosis, they get wrapped up in the, Mm -hmm. they get wrapped up in the diagnosis and they're not, they're not offering support for our daughter. They're offering support for a diagnosis. And, what I find is, yes, that may be something that describes some of the things that go on with our daughter, but it's, but that's not our child. 
you know, our daughter is not autism. Our daughter is not echolalia or something like that. There's a whole host of things that go on with her that are easy easy to address with your system, and it's hard to get people to buy it. Well, um, you may not be able to avoid people who believe fervently in adult-imposed consequences totally. I'm hoping that your speech and language therapist isn't very reward and punishment oriented because, to tell you the truth, most aren't. It's not sort of the standard orientation for people who are trained that way. I always find it interesting when I'm told that people, professionals, don't like that they are using the collab that you are that parents or whoever are using the collaborative and proactive solutions model. Um, and the reason for that is because the research, all of the research that's been done comparing solving problems collaboratively to the reward and punishment approach has shown that CPS is at least as effective at improving kids' behavior as rewarding and punishing is, sometimes, in some cases, even more effective. So I think it's kind of a fascinating thing for someone to say that they don't like this treatment or that treatment, especially when the data tell us that this treatment and that treatment are at least the equivalent of each other and that in some realms, CPS is actually significantly superior to the reward and punishment approach. So there's some research papers on the research page on the Lives in the Balance website that may be persuasive for people, but it could also be just that their training has them seeing the world through certain lenses, and they may not be especially ready to start moving outside of those lenses yet, which is why you may not be able to completely avoid people who are of that orientation. And by the way, nor should you try to avoid them. But good for you, and I have a feeling that Suze is about to say this too, good for you for knowing what works for your daughter and for sticking to what you believe in, knowing your daughter well, knowing that a diagnosis doesn't define her, knowing that a diagnosis doesn't necessarily tell people what treatment your daughter is going to respond to best, good for you on all those counts. Let's see if Susie has anything to add. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, I, I guess I just was wondering why I heard you say that they don't like collaborative and proactive solutions, but... Why not? I mean, is it ever possible to have a proactive meeting just with them, not with your daughter, and try to hear their concerns about, um, you know, their resistance, their hesitation in using a different approach, which is clearly working so beautifully with your daughter? Well, we've, we've tried to do that, and the thing uh-huh. that we've found is with um, certain people that she's involved with for um, treatment and therapies, is their response tends to be, you know, your daughter's going to have to do things that she doesn't like, and mm-hmm. she has to respond in a certain time period. So, for example, um, 
the occupational therapist mm-hmm. when she comes. Um, so I'm here for an hour, and it's going to take 45 minutes for us to get your daughter to do X, Y, Z if we use your method. So we're going to use my method, which is she's going to come over here and do what's asked of her. And if she doesn't, then you're going to physically bring her over here and we're going to do the work that we need to work on because we don't have that much time. But for me and dad, when we look at that solution, it's like, okay, so what you're actually doing in this particular situation from our perspective is, first of all, the reason our daughter doesn't want to come do that is because she's lacking some skills around transition right. to make her able to do those things. And we're not giving her those skills. We're physically picking her up and putting her over here, which then is going to lead to, a, you know, an explosive behavior from her. And we're going to end up in a, a physical confrontation where, you know, we're restraining her to keep her safe and keep other people safe. And we're just like, but if we would use this other method where we could work out the problem and solve it, maybe we could actually teach her a skill. And yes, it will take longer, but then she will be able to transition properly, not maybe on your time schedule, but she'll be able to do it and eventually get to be able to do it faster. And we'll avoid the behavior that we don't want to see. And that's kind of where I feel like the reward system would actually work is, you know, you did this today. I can show you your accomplishment, give her praise for doing that, and show her how she, you know, she is having skills and build her self-worth. Um, well, oh, I'm sorry. I just was going to say you're doing an amazing job, and it sounds like the time element is certainly getting in the way, but maybe if there's a way of explaining that if your daughter can accomplish X and Y, or maybe even X, like you're saying, um, that's something to build on. And yes, um, collaborative and proactive solutions takes time, but it certainly takes a lot less time than explosions, and um, which is a good possibility when you start imposing your will on a child that's having difficulties. Um, I've worked with kids who were restrained and secluded a lot at school and simply became extremely anxious about going to school and eventually refused to go. Now, that's not always the outcome. But the reality is... um, you might need a new occupational therapist because um, rewarding and punishing is not necessarily part of doing occupational therapy. It sounds like you've come across an occupational therapist who is going about doing things that way. Um, You're the parent. You get to decide what's going to work for your kid. And, of course, if you have somebody who's been assigned to work with your kid, who's doing things in a way that you think is not only not going to work for your kid, but that you think is just utterly counterproductive. Um, That's worth speaking up about. And just to reiterate, the occupational therapist is right that on day one of doing plan B, 
plan B is going to take longer. But let's not be short-sighted about it. Once, As you're saying, doing plan B on that unsolved problem is going to help us, number one, understand what's getting in the way for your daughter. Number two, involve her in the solutions to the problems that affect her life and make participating in occupational therapy take a lot less time than it's going to take if all we do is force her and restrain her when she won't. Go ahead. I thought you were going to say something there. Caller, any no, other I, things that you wanted to say? Go ahead. No, that, that, um, that's kind of, kind of more in line with our thinking, that we need to make some changes because, um, you know, those things don't work. Those things don't work for our family. Those things don't work for her. And um, these, these other systems aren't really working for us. So we're actually really looking forward to having more people here where we are because of your conference be aware of your system and, you know, the possible solutions that we're going to be able to have after you're here. So we're really looking forward to that. And the fact that it's starting to be used in schools here is really important to us. We think that's um, going to help our daughter a lot. There's a lot of CPS. There's a lot of CPS going on in Alberta, but apparently not quite enough yet. Not enough yet. Uh, I introduce yourself at the conference, if you would, and um, if you've never heard Michelle Garcia winner speak, you are in for quite a treat. Thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you there. Goodbye. Take Take care. care. And for those of you who are curious about that, the uh, three-day first annual Alberta School Mental Health Conference that is co-sponsored by Lives in the Balance and Jack Hirose and Associates. You can find information about that on the homepage of the Lives in the Balance website in the blue section. And it'll say it right there, and then it'll take you to a link. And um, my understanding is that there are three to 400 people already signed up. Um, we've uh, Jack Hirose has had to change the venue because... Um, so many people want to come here, the speakers. Now, I have to apologize to our next caller because um, we only have about two minutes left in the program, but let's see what he or she has to say. You're on the air. What's up? Hello there? Maybe not. Well, here's the bad news. We don't have time to cover another question today. Um, but so let's talk about that last caller a little bit, even though she's not still on the line with us. This is the one of the hardest things about having a behaviorally challenging kid, and that is uh, especially when you're trying to implement this model. There's a lot of people out there who don't know about this model yet, which continues to blow me away because I've been talking about it for over 25 years. Um, all kinds of free information on the Lives in the Balance website about it. But lots of people who have been trained another way. Now, I was doing a conference call the other day with some of my colleagues, um, and one of them was an ABA-trained person and was telling me that me characterizing ABA as being primarily about rewarding and punishing was an outdated model of ABA. 
And my response to that was, um, it all depends on who trains you to do ABA. A lot of people who are out there doing ABA think that the CPS model fits perfectly within an ABA framework and are not closed to using it. And a lot of people who've been trained in ABA think that CPS is absolute blasphemy and have the kind of reaction to it that uh, this mom has been receiving, which is that they don't like that CPS is being used. Well, we should never not like that a treatment that is empirically supported and that is humane and compassionate and effective is being used. Never. Susie, any final words? I was just thinking that wouldn't it be nice if the agency that employs this occupational therapist um, could send that person to the conference in Alberta. (laughs) That's the hope. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.